Hey, um, for those who don't know me, my name is Drake Levishev, and I'm chairman of the Elder Board today. And I, I do want to say you are in the right place. I, you probably you didn't expect me as service host, but I'm here uh, because we've got um, some special things planned for today. Uh, so uh, it's been our intention as elders to provide an update every three months or so. And you may remember I was here uh, around that around March to share and. Um, really was th so thankful for the feedback we received. You know, I think it's deeply encouraging to be involved in the ministry we do and to know that you're praying for us. And, and so that means a great deal. Today, I'm here because we want to actually provide an update and um, a more, uh, a, maybe a deeper one that will involve the balance of the service. And so, um, because it's so important. And so what we want to talk about, you've been hearing us talk, allude to this idea that uh, our church has uh, something of a Laodicea problem. And um, I'll just share, this has been a kind of a longer process for us. Uh, it's been months that we have been praying and looking to the word, fasting, reflecting. And what started as an issue for us that was one of a few things quickly became something that we believed is really the issue that the Lord wanted to highlight for us. And so we've actually even stopped talking about uh, capacity issues and Grace's growth because we believe this requires our full attention. Uh, it's as though Jesus has taken his finger and put it on our chest and said, you need to attend to this. Now, what, what are we talking about when we talk about a Laodicea problem? So um, many of you, most of you may be aware Revelation 2 and 3 has uh, seven letters from Jesus to the churches in Asia. And Laodicea is one of those churches. And the problem that we're talking about here is one um, that we believe we don't need anything, but we're actually spiritually poor. That our possessions and, I'm sorry, that our passion and devotion to Jesus has been dulled by the wealth and pleasures of this world, and that we've pursued lives of comfort and, and accept while often ignoring the needs of the of people around us. Now, this is something that is um, particularly challenging because of where we live. And we're not saying this to point a finger at anyone. I can tell you we, we know how generous this community is, and uh, Christina and I, uh, my wife Christina and I, have experienced that time and time again. This is a generous community. But what we realize is there's an invitation from Jesus to, as C.S. Lewis says, go further up and further in. The Lord has new territory for us to take. He wants to bring us into greater fruitfulness. And so today, what we want to do is really um, speak to this issue together as elders. And so it'll begin with uh, Dave going through Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. Then we'll offer, kind of bring you into some of our confession before the Lord. After that, we'll also invite you to uh, kind of visit what we're, what we're thinking is next. And then finally, uh, we also want to spend some time in prayer.
Now, as we think about this, I can't help but, uh, but think about the picture in Revelation chapter, uh, chapter 1 of the risen, exalted Jesus. It shows him as one who is among the, the, the lampstands. He's present among the churches. He's near. And he is mighty, majestic, and holy. He loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood. And he's the one who's speaking to us today. So would you please open your Bible and turn to Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. Please stand for the reading of God's word. To the angel, oh, let me move forward. To the angel in the church in Philadelphia, write: These are the words of him who is holy and true. Sorry, verse seven. I don't know why. Oh, okay. I'm at the get to the right get to the right letter, right letter. Okay, Revelation, starting in Revelation chapter three, verse fourteen. To the angel in church of the Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious, and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. So um, I've been looking forward to this morning, and as Drake just mentioned, thank you for that, Drake. Uh, what I want to do is, I'm not going to give a full-length sermon, I want to spend about 15 minutes walking through this passage, because you hear us talk about the Laodicean issue, and I'm not even going to try to be very inspirational today. I want to actually just make sure you understand what Jesus is saying, so you're like, oh, I know, I, so that the word can speak to you, and you have a clear understanding of what the issue was then, and what we're inviting you into today. So... I'm just going to take us through about a 15-minute journey through this passage and what Jesus had to say. As, as Drake mentioned, uh, chapters 2 and 3 of the risen Jesus showing up and giving messages to each of these seven churches in Asia Minor. This would be modern-day Turkey. And each one starts with, look at ours in verse 15, with that phrase, I know your deeds. All, th all seven of them, I know your deeds. And that would be, I would imagine, comforting and terrifying all at the same time. But Jesus is present in his church. He's intimately equated with each of their scenarios. And he says, I know. 
And in most of these messages, he has uh, words of encouragement to them and then words of challenge. So he'll usually start and say, I, I love this about your community, about your fellowship, and here's some things I want to I wanna press in on with you. And so that's how most of these go. And um, you know, I don't know, I, I've thought, I've studied Revelation a lot, I've thought a lot over the years, what if Jesus what if there was a message to Grace Fellowship Church in Costa Mesa? Like there was an eighth letter, the message to the church at, at Grace Fellowship in Costa Mesa. And what would, what would Jesus say to us? What would he have to say that was good? What would he challenge us on? And what our conviction as elders lately has been is, first of all, we're not the Laodicean church, right? This was not written to us directly. So we're not claiming to be this church. But we think that we how we live, where we live, when we live, that our dangers and our temptations are very similar to this church. So we, we imagine there's some things that Jesus says here that would be very relevant for us today. So um, Laodicea, just if you haven't figured out by now, there was a, a very uh, wealthy, uh, uh, affluent city in that time. It, it sat on major trade routes, so it was cosmopolitan. It was, a, it was a great place to be. Specifically, they were known for three things, which come out in what Jesus says here. Um, it was a commercial center, or it was a, actually a financial center, specifically. It was a, they were known for some of the best banks uh, in the... Uh, in the empire at that time. So really good banks, good financial center. Uh, they were known for their clothing industry. They actually raised, uh, there was these sheep and there were, they had like this specific sheep with this black glossy wool that they would make wool from and make clothes from. So some of the best clothes of the day, some of the, the best fashion of the day came from Laodicea. And then finally, they had a medical school, a famous medical school there uh, that was known especially for this eye ointment that they made that was said to help with weak and failing eyes. So many of us in that day would go to Laodicea if, if our eyes, if you turn 50 and all of a sudden you couldn't read the words on your page, you go to Laodicea, okay? So um, they had great uh, financial center, commercial center, uh, medical school. So they were really, in many ways, the envy of, of the empire, right? I mean, wealth and all the things you would want in that day and age. Uh, but Jesus looks into this church, into that, in that very wealthy city, and all, of their, all that they have going for them. And he says, actually, in the midst of all that goodness, something is seriously wrong in this community. And so I want to talk about what that was and. It'll be pretty clear as we walk through it. So, and I'm actually going to put up each of the things Jesus says on the screen so you can just, it's clear, you can see it as I talk about it. So first thing he says is he goes after, I would say not the core issue, but he goes after a symptom of theirs. This is the symptom. Verse 15, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other, but you are lukewarm neither hot nor cold. So I would suggest this was the symptom of the larger issue. You are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot. Meaning, I think, you've, you've lost your passion for me. You've lost your zeal. You've lost this deep, white-hot devotion to me. And he's actually drawing on uh, a geographical reality in their day. So about five miles away from this city was the city of Heropolis, which was known for its hot springs, okay, natural hot springs. And then you had the city of Colossae, which we've all heard of from Colossians, and they had these um, 
cold, like river source, cold river springs. And, but Laodicea had neither of those. And so they actually had their water coming in from Colossae and it would come through this, uh, like this viaduct over miles and over time the water would grow literally lukewarm and tepid and sometimes it would even become foul in, uh, in the journey. And so Jesus is saying like the one thing that doesn't work about the city is their water. <laughs> and Jesus is like, you guys are like your water. You've been drinking the water of Laodicea. You're neither hot nor cold. And hot, cold, both of those would be good. Both would represent passion and zeal. One's refreshing. One, you know, is medicinal. But you're neither. You've lost your zeal for the Lord, your passion, your devotion for him. Now, I guarantee you, these people, this church, still believed in Jesus, Okay, if you talked to them, they'd say, I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe I'm going, going to heaven when I die. But if you'd gotten inside of their lives, if you'd come and watch them as they gathered in worship, there wasn't a passion. They were distracted. They're sipping back on their Turkish coffee, looking around, seeing what people are doing, right? And if you were to get inside their prayer lives, they weren't praying big, desperate prayers of need, kingdom prayers. They were small prayers. Um, and if you watch them witness, I bet they didn't witness at all. I bet they weren't out sharing the good news because you tend to talk about the things that you're really excited about. And they just weren't as excited about Jesus anymore. They believed in him, but they lost their passion, their zeal. And so Jesus says, I see this about you. This is the symptom. You've lost your passion." The question is why? What had happened that made them lose the zeal for the Lord? And I think that's where he goes next. Look at verse 17. This, I think, is the heart of the issue for them. For you say, Laodiceans, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. This is your issue. I live in this wealthy city. I've built up wealth. I've built up worldly resources. And this is the key, that last phrase, and do not need a thing. I have no need. I am self-sufficient. That is at the core of the issue. I've got all this stuff, right? I've got all these resources, and I'm, I'm kind of good. <laughs> I kind of got what I need. I can, I've got what I need to get through this life with all these worldly resources. And Jesus says, you say this. Now, I promise you, there's not a single Laodicean who was saying this out loud. <laughs> no one's going around saying, I'm good, I'm self-sufficient, I don't need God. But in the deep, like, inner recesses of their hearts, this is what their hearts were saying. Right? When I look at the future of my life, what makes me feel okay about it, I've got a lot of stuff. I've got this great house, I've got three carriages, um, and I've got a lot of money in First Bank of Laodicea, right? Like, I feel okay about the future. I feel like I've got what I need to secure my future. And I've got clothes. And so even when I'm feeling insecure, I can look pretty sharp. Like, I can, I can, I've got the latest fashions. I can step into a room and look like I've got my life together. And we've got this great, great doctors in the area. And so when I think about my health, I know that there's, there's people who can help me with that. So I look at these things, practically speaking, um, I have what I need. I'm self-sufficient. They would never have said this theologically. 
I guarantee, theologically, they would have said, I know I'm saved by God's grace. I can't earn my salvation. I'm saved by God's grace. But practically, day to day, I don't really need Jesus to get through my life. I kind of have what I need, right? I never, I never actually wake up and say, Father, give me today my daily bread. I know exactly where my daily bread's coming from. I know where the next three meals are coming from. I never actually have prayed that prayer, really. It's more of a symbolic prayer for me. Is this making sense? Right, in like how my life actually works. I don't really need him to get through my days. And so that was the core issue And because of that, then, of course, Jesus wasn't their passion because he wasn't at the center of their lives. He just had become part of their lives. But there's all this other stuff that crowded him out. And so they lost their zeal, their, their earnestness, their dependence, their desperation for him. If you go to the end of, the, of this passage, um, Jesus has this image in verse 20. Look at verse 20. He says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. Maybe the most famous line in the letters to the seven churches in Revelation. And if any of us grew up in the church, we've heard this phrase, right, many times. And most of us have heard it in evangelistic settings where, you know, there's a, a, a crusade or, you know, a big moment and, and there's a preacher and they're, they're speaking to a group of people who don't know Jesus, who aren't Christians, aren't believers, And he's saying, Jesus is on the outside of your life, but he's knocking on the door. Open the door of your heart and let Jesus into your heart and become a believer, right? And that's a, that's a beautiful thing to do. But who's Jesus talking to here? He's talking to his own church. And he's saying, guys, guess what? I'm on the outside of my own church looking in. Somehow in your sense of self-sufficiency and all the treasures and pleasures and resources of this world, slowly I've been pushed more and more to the outskirts of your lives, to the outskirts of your community, till now I'm actually on the outside of my own church looking in. One commentator calls Laodicea the church with Jesus on the outside. And this was not intentional, I'm sure, in any way. And it didn't happen overnight. They'd come to faith in Jesus, but slowly, as things crept in, as the world crept in, Jesus kind of just slowly gets pushed. Again, not, not rejected, but just kind of slowly pushed out and out until all of a sudden he's like, I'm no longer at the center of your lives. I'm no longer at the center of your community. No wonder they had lost their zeal, <laughs> right? When the fountain of living water, Jesus himself, is not at the center, but he's just a part of a lot of other really good things, of course, they're going to lose their passion and their zeal. But this is the core issue. I have no need. And because of that, Jesus has been pushed to the outside. Okay, let's go back to um, verse 17. Uh, there's an irony to what they're thinking when they say, I have no need. I'm self-sufficient. That's actually a complete illusion. <laughs> And they're not, they're not actually seeing themselves clearly because look at verse 17 again. Jesus says this. You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and don't need a thing. But actually, you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. How do you really feel, Jesus? <laughs> right? My goodness. Right? Oops. Did I miss that one? I did miss that one. Um, He says, 
you don't realize. You're actually not seeing yourselves clearly. You're certainly not seeing yourselves the way that, that I see you. You're, you're self-deceived. And, you know, I, 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 this week I was, I was thinking of that description, wretched, pitiful, poor, blind. I'm like, are you kidding? These are some of the wealthiest people in the empire. These are people who, have, who, who are smart, right, who, who, are, who, have it, who are sharp, who, who have it all. How can you describe them in such drastic language? And, of course, Jesus is saying, spiritually. I'm talking about your spiritual state right now. What's going on inside of you spiritually you're poor and blind and naked. You, you actually are not to be envied in the empire. You are to be pitied. You have all the financial resources, but spiritually you are poor. If I were to get inside your heart, there's very little passion. There's very little devotion. There's very little joy, spiritual joy. There's very little trust. There's very little just fruit of the spirit. So externally rich, but internally poor. He says, you're naked. You're the best dressed people in the empire. But in terms of where your identity is coming from, in terms of that inner place, you're not clothed in Christ. You, you lack the, the most important spiritual clothing that there is. And you're blind. Because you guys, he's saying, physically, you have 20-20 vision. You, you have the best vision in the empire. But spiritually, you actually are not seeing things the way I see them. You're not valuing the right things. Your spiritual sight has gone bad. You're not seeing the kingdom the way I want you to see it. You're actually not to be envied. You are to be pitied spiritually among the seven churches, which would have been wild because I guarantee you, the other six churches are like, I want to live in that place. I want to be those people. And she's like, yeah, you're not to be envied. You're to be pitied. And I was thinking about this week, and, and I actually, I can kind of see this. Um, I was thinking about our partnership with the ministry of Elam, Elam Ministries, which is, um, you know, we support Christians in Iran and then in Turkey who, you know, the, the gospel is just spreading in that area in, some, in the Muslim world in amazing ways. And uh, many of us have had opportunities to go to, either go there or go to fundraisers where these people are there or just encounter these people. And when you encounter these per people, at first, you feel like these people are to be pitied, okay? You think like some of these people have been in jail. Many of these people have lost their families because they've become believers. They've been ostracized by their families. Some have lost their jobs, lost their social relationships, and they just don't have that much. And you feel like, oh my gosh, I would, I would hate to be in your shoes until you spend like a day or two with these people. And you see, they're so full of joy and they just trust God. They, they open the word and they just, they love it. It just, they soak it in. And they are passionate to share the gospel with people. And they, they actually believe this stuff. And they're, they're excited about eternal life. The fruit of the spirit is in them. And you step away from two days with them and you're like, oh, <laughs> we're actually to be pitied. They are to be envied because they are so rich and they're seeing the world and reality as it actually is. I actually want more of what they have. And I think that's the dynamic that Jesus was drawing out to this church that would have been envied among the churches. And there's another church that, that was actually the poorest church. And he says, I know that you're poor. Ah, but you're rich because you're, you're trusting in me. You're dependent on me. So this is the problem in Laodicea, okay? 
You've lost your passion. You think you have everything you need, but you're actually deceived. And then finally, and I'll be real quick on this, he turns to, okay, so what do we do? What am I asking you to do about that? And with all the churches, he has a word of, here's what I want you to do. And I love where he starts. Look at verse 19. Let's see if I have it. Yeah. I love this word. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Um, Jesus is pretty straightforward with this church. I don't know if you picked up on that or not. But I love this word. He's like, guys, I love you. I wouldn't do this if I didn't love you. I'm actually not judging you. I'm not pulling away from you. This is me coming towards you in love, showing you your true situation so that we can actually experience something deeper than we have right now. So he reminds them, this is is all coming from love. And what I'm asking you to do is repent. Be earnest. See the situation. Change your mind about it and start living differently. And he gives them two images of what living differently could look like for them. And so I'll, I'll leave us with these two images. They're kind of, both of them are, are metaphors of, of a sense. The first one is in verse 18. Here's the first image of repentance. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. He uses the word of buying. Buy for me, I think that's funny. He's like, you guys are great at buying things? This is what you do well? Great, I can play that game. I want you to buy more things, but I want you to buy them from me instead of the world. And the the irony is, and intentionally, but the things he's calling them to buy are things that money can't buy. (laughs) And he's kinda like, that's the whole point. but I want you to start coming to me for things that you've been going to the world for. Specifically, buy from me gold refined in the fire, right? I don't want you to buy the treasures of this world. I think he's talking about, I want you to buy inner treasures of faith, true tested faith, of all the spiritual treasures that we have in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the hope of eternal life his presence with us, the fruit of the Spirit. I want you to start coming to me for all of these internal treasures that are honestly so much better than the external treasures that this world has to offer. Buy these things, come to me. Stop going to the world for your satisfaction. Start coming to me, right? Buy from me. And white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. Stop worrying about these physical clothes. I have a robe of righteousness that is white and pure and clean that I long to put on you. And when you wear those clothes, you will feel better than any clothes you ever put on in the morning. It is to be clothed in my righteousness, to be my beloved in the midst of your sin, brokenness, failures, insecurities, to know that you are the beloved of God because you have put your faith in me. And that, those are clothes you can walk into any social circumstance and feel 100% secure in. So superior to the clothes you try to put on in the morning. And finally, in salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Okay? Fixing these things right here, great. 
but I want, to give you, I want you to help you see reality as it actually is. Start coming to me, to my words. Watch how I talk about what is truly valuable in this world, how to see things, come to me for those things. All that to say, stop going to the world. To satisfy all of these things you need, start coming to me. I offer you something that is deeper, richer, and better, and eternal. And then the final image, back to um, verse 20, my favorite image in the passage. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Love that picture. He is inviting them into a deeper relationship of connection, friendship, intimacy, trust, dependence. He's saying, guys, I've been kind of an outsider in your life, a casual visitor to your lives. I want to be brought into the very center as your constant companion. So open the door again. Take, you've been clenching. You've been holding tightly to your lives and all the stuff and all the image and all these things. I want you to just kind of loosen your hold on all that stuff and surrender your life in a fresh way to me. Invite me back into the center so that I'm a part of everything you do. Not just the 80 minutes on a Sunday morning, but the 10,000 minutes in the rest of the week. Invite me into your marriages. Invite me into your finances. Invite me into your work. Invite me into your friendships. Invite me into your bodies. Invite me into everything. I want to be that constant companion, experiencing fellowship day by day dependence in all things. So hear my voice. Let me back in to the center. It will be beautiful. It'll be further up and further in, as Drake said. Sounds scary, but it's this life of day-to-day dependence and devotion and connection with Jesus, which he said is better than anything this world offers. So that is the passage. Maybe that was 20 minutes. I don't actually know what it was. but uh, We're not the Laodicean church, but there's a lot of overlap in terms of the place and the time in which we live. And so we feel like, this is something we want to attend to. So what we're going to do right now, I actually want to, before we move on, uh, Mark's, or no, uh, Jim's going to come up in a second, but I want to just give us an, just a minute of silence. Scott's going to play piano for us. But I've put, you know, most of the, the main phrases there, and we don't want to just talk at you today. We want this to be a, we want you to be processing as you hear this, and, and so we've got prayer coming in a bit, but... Before we move on, let's just take a minute and see what's stirring in you in your own life. Like, where does this hit you? Uh, where's the invitation for you? Where's the confrontation for you? What is Jesus speaking to the church at Grace Fellowship today? So let's just take a moment of silence, and then Jim will come up and kind of tell you through, tell you how this has been hitting us as elders.
Good morning. So I'm Jim Williams. I'm the newest elder. I am not the youngest, but I am the newest. I love Dave's sermon. I always pick out one thing from Dave's sermon, and I picked out the image of Jesus standing in front of me saying, I know your deeds. And that, to me, is a little bit daunting. So uh, how do we deal with this Laodicean problem? We just can't flip the zeal switch. It's not something we can just turn on. And especially how do we deal it at the church level? Because the problem seems so large and daunting to move the needle. Um, So we came up with confess and repent, fast and pray. And that's how we as elders uh, decided to begin to deal with this problem that we call the uh, Laodicean problem. One thing I noticed uh, right away when I started uh, going to the elder meetings was this foundational belief that we will never ask you to go somewhere, that we will not go ourselves. So we felt that we first needed to define the Laodicean problem in our own lives and our roles as elders before we could begin to ask you to walk with us on this journey. You guys, we are a reflection of you just as you are a reflection of us, and we, we love that. And how this problem manifested itself in our lives was very difficult to ascertain because as, as Jesus said, you don't realize the true condition you're in. So we prayerfully reflected we honestly and brutally looked at our own lives. We wrote down our confessions, and then we shared them with each other. And I think this was probably the, the most impactful elder meeting that I've been at because we pulled off the pretentiousness of who we wanted you to think we were. And we just said, this, this is who I am. And this is the, this, these are the issues that I'm dealing with, Um, so it was beautiful. And for me, confession, it's interesting because in the past, I, you know, some of you know my story, um, my addictions and stuff like that. Confession for me was almost a weekly routine with my poor wife. I would misbehave, um, I would confess to my wife, she would forgive me, and then I would feel the shame of my behavior and it kind of was a, a cycle that kept going lower and lower. Today I'm already forgiven. I don't have to ask for forgiveness. So confession has taken on a brand new meaning. It's not something that I'm shameful about. It's something that I come to Jesus with, with hope that he will correct in me these behaviors that are preventing me from having a better, more fulfilling relationship with him. So here we are. Here I am today, standing in front of you, the church that I love, speaking for all the elders to confess to you just how we are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. So here are our confessions. I confess I spend more time, energy, and effort on cultivating the outward image of success that is seen and validated in the world, even in the Christian world, than I spend on the inward disposition of discipleship. I confess I avoid situations that make me feel out of control in any way, 
and stick to the situations and conversations I think I can manage within my own resources. So I really haven't learned, had to learn what it means to truly live by faith and dependence. I confess I rarely spend time with the kinds of people Jesus spent so much of his time with, the poor, the needy, and the vulnerable. I spend almost all of my time with people whose lives are already very well put together from a worldly perspective. I confess I do not love Jesus more than I love myself. I confess I have lost the zeal for God and no longer have gratitude for what God has done for me. I confess I am afraid to submit to God and what he knows I need to do because it may cause me pain, suffering, and the loss of the worldly possessions I enjoy and take pride in. I confess I need to stop acting like I have it all together and denying the poverty that comes when there are too many rivals to intimacy with Christ. I confessed in areas where I am frail or have made mistakes, I need to humble myself and admit my weakness. I confess I end up depending on my own strength and resources to deal with my responsibilities and manage my own life. So that's it, that's us standing here in front of you. Uh, we invite you to confess yourselves, and I would also like to invite Mark up to tell us what the next steps are. Good morning, friends. <clears throat> so you've heard um, a bit of our process over the past uh, few months of what God has been stirring in us, um, but we want to do more than just simply inform you uh, of that. Uh, as elders, we want to invite you into this process with us. And something we readily acknowledge, um, it's one thing to identify a problem, <laughs> it's a whole other thing to actually um, faithfully respond to it. Um, there, and there's just a lot, honestly, there's a lot of misguided ways one can respond to something like this, especially if it's fueled by some sort of man-made work or some um, kind of self-righteous reflex or a reliance on our own ingenuity or strength, which would be sadly ironic. Um, we know that if there is to be any real and lasting change in this area, it would need to be the result of a, a deep heart reorientation. The kind of change that can only come through the work of the Holy Spirit. Truly spiritual work. So we don't have a master plan. We don't have a formula to fix uh, this problem that we feel like we've identified in ourselves. Um, but we do, what we do have is a desire to grow in faithfulness and trust. And we want to simply humble ourselves and submit ourselves to God in this as we seek to have him do some deep work uh, within us. Uh, so that, to that end, um, 
we have as elders been committing ourselves to fasting and praying, um, uh, usually on Thursdays, occasionally on alternative day, uh, over the past month, in this month of August. And, um, and if you're not as familiar with sort of why fast, like what's the point of fasting, I really like how John Piper speaks to the role of fasting in the life of the believer. And I think it's super apropos to what we're trying to get at here. He says, the greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemies, but his gifts. And the most deadly appetites are not for the poison of evil, but for the simple pleasures of earth. For when these replace an appetite for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. Christian fasting, then, is the hunger of homesickness for God. I mean that we will do anything and go without anything if by any means we might protect ourselves from the deadening effects of innocent delights and preserve the sweet longings of our homesickness for God. Really love that. I think that sums up, I think, the goal of this process. So, all that to say, we have two things we want to invite you into. First, we want to invite you to join us in this fasting and praying for the month of September. We've been uh, focusing that on Thursdays, typically. If Thursdays, for some reason, don't work for you, another day of the week certainly would be fine. Uh, we fast through breakfast and lunch and break our fast at dinner. And uh, we have articulated a prayer that uh, we're kind of sort of using as a, as a guide for us in this. And we have put it in a document that we want to make it available to you, if you so choose to join us in this. And whether you join us in the fasting part uh, or not, uh, we would hope that it, you would at least join us to seek the Lord in this with us. And you could pick up, by the way, that prayer. We're going to have a stack out on the, in the lobby on that little credenza out there. There'll be some on the um, welcome booth in the patio. And you can also find it on our website, uh, on our homepage. So that's the first thing. The second thing we invite you into is God has uh, been placing on our hearts the importance of spending more time with certain kinds of people. And uh, Dave kind of alluded to this earlier. People who are um, vulnerable. People who are in deep need in this world. People who have come to the end of themselves people who have little options and need the powerful work of God in their lives in very obvious and explicit ways. It's a kind of uh, attending to, it's a kind of work that we feel will remind us how much we need the Lord and his divine provision for us. A work that we think will cultivate in us the opposite of a spirit of self-sufficiency, but a deeper dependence on God. And so, secondly, we would like to invite you to consider to engage in something that's upcoming that we're going to be calling Grace in Action. Um, 
and some various ministry opportunities in that. Uh, we're going to have more specifics to share with you uh, in the next month, but in brief, we're going to be focusing uh, on three areas of emphasis in our local community. The first is the vulnerable, the second is our neighbors, and the third are those who don't know Jesus. And so for the first semester, uh, starting in September, we will focus on the vulnerable, and we're going to be engaging opportunities to help the homeless, uh, foster youth, and, um, and those who are food insecure. And in the second trimester, uh, we're going to be focusing on neighboring. And that is simply, we want to think about natural and creative and faithful ways to connect to those people that God has put literally right next to us. And then the third trimester, we're going to be focused on sharing the good news of the gospel to those who don't know Jesus. And we're going to do that through the, the ministry of Alpha, which many of you are familiar with. So there you have it. That is our heart. Um, we're in this together. And, uh, and we would love this movement. We would love this effort to be something that, that we all are a part of, uh, that we all see the need for in our lives. Uh, we think this is really important, honestly, really important for us. And we think that... Um, we hope that this will be an honoring thing to the Lord. Um, and we, honestly, we can't wait for what God will, will do in us and, and through us. So there you have it. Thank you. I'm going to invite Brian Lucas up here just to spend some time with us in prayer. So, Brian. Uh, I want to invite you. We're going to pray um, for a bit. We're going to do this sort of in, in three components and my goal really as we pray is to lead all of us into the joyful relationship that exists between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is what we've been invited to participate in as his children. So I just want to ask you as we kind of prepare to do this, just maybe silence your cell phone if you haven't already because I don't want there to be any distractions as we, as we close in prayer. I also want to invite you <clears throat> to as we kind of move through this, um, and we'll have some silent time to just hear from the Spirit as He speaks to us. Um, you're in a very safe place. This is your family. This is, this is really important, and I can't help but get emotional. I'm so sorry. Um, but open your hands. If you just need to open yourself up, and feel a little uncomfortable, I encourage you to do that. So, join me in prayer. Good morning, Father. We are um, genuinely in need of you. And yet you invite us uh, to come boldly to your throne of grace in our time of need. And so we do that this morning boldly, uh, not because of our own accomplishments, our own personality, even our own perseverance, but simply because 
we come to you fully forgiven, uh, fully wrapped in the righteousness, the goodness, and the beauty of Jesus. Uh, the work of salvation, the work of reconciliation between our wretched selves and your holy presence is finished completely in Jesus. So we approach you with the boldness of a joyful and yet needy child. God, you have been so faithful to your people throughout history. You have led and guided, provided, disciplined, nurtured, and led your people with such faithfulness. And in the short history of this church, Grace Fellowship Church, in the light of eternity, in the light of history itself, we have existed for such an incredibly short period of time. And yet you've been so faithful to us as well at various crossroads in the history of this church. You've shown yourself to be so faithful to us. And by your grace, we have tried in our own human effort and also but so profoundly guided by you, Spirit, to be faithful to what you've called us to do. And you've kept all of your promises. You've proven time and time again that we can trust you. And your promise to us is that you will conform us and transform us and lead us into the kind of person that Jesus is, that you will make us his disciples. And Lord, as we sit here this morning with each other in this um, building that you've provided, in this place that you've provided, we can say wholeheartedly that you have done immeasurably more than all we could have ever hoped and imagined. And it's the people that are here. Who would have thought that you would bring together such a rich and beautiful tapestry of people that want to know you and to follow you and to learn from you and to live for you? We are your embodied potential for the kingdom of God. Your reign, your rule, your power in this community. We are the embodied potential here. And so, Lord, we, we pause for a moment and we offer up our hearts to you now, our needs to you now, and we ask boldly to speak to us. Jesus, you have authority over all things, and we humbly hear your voice 
speaking truth about our lives this morning. We confess to you that we have become comfortable in the wrong things and for the wrong reasons. And we have grown numb in our deepest need that only can be fulfilled in you. This morning, Jesus, we ask you to humbly overwhelm our daily routines with a fresh understanding of your love. Jesus, there isn't a molecule in our bodies that is sustained by ourselves. You, in this moment, sustain us by your goodness. And God, we own nothing. Everything we have has been given by you. The only thing that we own, Jesus, is the person that we really are. Reveal to us those things that we're holding so tightly to for comfort, identity, purpose, meaning, security, other than you. We take a moment now, Jesus, to open our hands to you. Holy Spirit, you are present here with us. And I pray that you would help us to worship you with all that we have. Help us to see clearly our needs. Help us to see clearly our need and longing for you. Help us to let go of the things that we're holding on to. And Lord, I pray that you would help us in our fear. We're afraid to let go of the things that keep us secure. So help us to see the beauty of disrupting our comfortable lives with your righteousness, your goodness. Help us to see the beauty of disruptive passion for you in our life. Thank you so much, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We love you. We long to love you more. Help us to understand how deeply and passionately you love us. We are your beloved. What a title you've given to us. And we thank you, we worship you. And we do it in the name of Jesus, amen.